Wow. I, uh, <clears throat> I hope I can live up to all that hype there. Uh, she kind of set the bar pretty high for me today and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm John. Um, you probably all see me hanging out in uh, Axe Kids Hallway. I hang out there a lot and stuff like that. In fact, I think some of the Axe Kids are in here. Shout out to Axe Kids. You know. um, so I hang out there a lot because I love kids and I love to teach. And so uh, when Cameron gave me the opportunity to teach, I thought, heck yeah, I guess I can teach to adults the same, right? So <clears throat> we have a lot to talk about today. So I'm going to dispense with some of the formalities and get right to it. But first... It's not very often I get the opportunity for this, so I, I thought what I would try and do is something crazy, and I want to try and do a teaching experiment. I want to do a, a learning experiment with all of you. I want to see if I can teach you all a hand coordination exercise this morning, just for fun, because I don't get to do this too often, right? So <clears throat> I want everybody to join in. You don't have to stand up, but you have to have both hands free. So everybody put down their coffee. Come on, this will be fun. Just set it down for a minute. It'll only take a few minutes. I want to see if I can teach a whole room of people to do something. Now, as soon as I start this, this exercise, some of you are going to know what it is. And if you do, don't shout it out. Don't spoil it for everyone else, all right? All right, so I want everybody to take their hands, and I want you to slap your knees twice and clap your hands twice. You ready? <laughs> Got that? That's easy peasy, right? All right, now I want you to take and wave your right hand over your left hand twice, and then your left hand over your right hand twice. Ready? Wave, 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 wave. Easy, right? Now let's put that together. Ready? Slap, slap, clap, clap, wave, 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 wave. You guys are doing great. This is going good. All right, so now I want you to take your right fist and bump your left fist twice. Bump, bump, and then take your left fist, bump your right fist twice. Bump, bump, and then hitchhike, hitchhike. Let's do that last part again. You ready? Bump, 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 hitchhike, hitchhike. All right, now we're going to put all that together. You ready? Nice and slow at first. Ready? Slap, slap, clap, clap, wave, 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 bump, 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 hitchhike, hitchhike. All right, again, let's go a little faster. Ready? Slap, slap, clap, clap, wave, 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 bump, 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 hitchhike, hitchhike. Awesome. You guys are fast. So what did we learn? The hand jive. That's right. Not many people know the hand jive. So if you're ever feeling nostalgic and you want to watch Grease and you watch Olivia Newton-John... What? Best move. <laughs> if you watch Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta in the big dance contest, you'll know how to do it, see? Easy peasy. So that was kind of fun. Actually, the reason I did that was to demonstrate to you that sometimes you can learn some strange and unusual things in a pretty ordinary place. And, of course, the parallel I'm drawing here is with the Bible. Um, my goal here today is real simple, is just to encourage you to read. So I've titled my lesson today, Pick Up Your Fork and Eat, which is kind of a strange and unusual title, by the way. But the Bible is riddled with instances where God uses either food or eating to equate to your spiritual health. I call it spiritual nutrition. Now, we are all on a journey with God, walking towards God. There's a lot of stuff that we can do to get closer to God. Every time we learn, we read, we hear a message, we take a step closer to God. The closer to God we get, 
the more we can reflect his values, the more we can emulate him. Now, as I say, there's bunches of different ways of getting close to God, but there's three real big ones. And the first one is prayer. And when I say prayer, I don't mean, God, I've got this opportunity for a new job. Do you want me to take it? Amen. Boom. Hang up the phone. No, no. What I mean is, God, you've got me here now. I've got the opportunity to go there. What would you have me do? And set the phone down with the receiver up and wait and listen and think and pray for a minute or five minutes or whatever it takes. Now, I know that's kind of disconcerting because you're talking to God, right? And you can't BS God. You know, you can BS your friends. Hey, how's it going? Good, right? Even though part of your life is in the toilet. But you know, it's like God has got this knife and he can cut right through all the crud, right to your soul. It's like you're standing there naked in front of God. But that's when you grow. When you listen to God, you take a step forward, you get closer to him. Another great way that you can grow towards God is listen to a message. Um, when you've got pastors that are in tune with God, speaking through God speaking through them, it's, it's just like God is spoon-feeding you exactly what he wants you to hear. A message just for you. And if you're a baby Christian, I suppose it's kind of like, you come to train around the mountain, open up wide, right? But for your everyday meat and potatoes of Christianity, you need a fork, and that's the Bible. See, when we consume food, we nourish our bodies. But when we consume the Bible, we nourish our souls. When we read, we take a step closer to God. And when we read, it allows God to talk directly to us. In um, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth, you see? Now, if there's nothing else out of my message today that you take home, that right there should make you want to read. Why do we read the Bible? Because the Bible tells us to read the Bible. Quick sidebar, if you don't have a Bible, we give these things away every day, all right? So if you don't have a Bible, stop at guest services and get one. If you do have a Bible, and maybe you've read it, maybe the translation didn't sync with you, we have some awesome Bibles at resources called the Wayfinding Bible. They're really cool. Um, they're a study Bible. They've got notes in there to explain what you're reading. They've got Bible reading schedules that give you the highlights. You ever sit next to someone in church and they've got a whole bunch of stuff underlined in red and you always wonder what that's about? Well, the Wayfinding Bible kind of takes you to all those places, those really important ones that you're supposed to have underlined. It hits all those. So it's, it's a great resource to have. So sometimes people ask me about what the Bible says. What does God say about this or that? And 
I've kind of got this weird old saying that I kind of twist around to, to do this. You know, there's, there's this old sarcastic yet humorous saying that people have that, that to make fun of someone, if they're making a big to-do about a small amount of money, um, kind of like if you heard someone say, I drove all the way to Spring Valley to get gas because it was three cents a gallon cheaper. Well, book the cruise, right? <laughs> or, or I spent all week couponing, and when I went grocery shopping, I saved six bucks. Well, book the cruise, right? So what I do is I turn that around. If someone asks me, well, what does God have to say about welfare? I say, cruise the book. What does God say about giving or paying taxes? Cruise the book. What does God say about marriage or sex or abortion? Cruise the book. Friends, if you've got questions, the book has got answers. So we read to get closer to God, but we continue to read because we continue to grow. Now, a good reader can read the Bible in a year. There's all kinds of Bible reading programs, you know, read the Bible in a year. And if you're really gung-ho, you can do it faster. Um, I'm quite a bit slower, probably a year and a half or more. The point I'm getting at is, like tonight, when I go home and read, whatever it is that I'm reading, it's probably been a year and a half since I've read it. Well, I've grown since then, right? I've gone to services, I've listened to messages, I've read, I've prayed, I've taken steps forward. So what was just words on a page, yada, 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 now when I read it, God reveals something awesome to me. And the next time that I read that, it might be a year and a half from now, and I hope to be a whole different person then. I can't tell you how many times I've read something for the very first time in the Bible, even though I've read the Bible, you know, a gob of times, you know. God just keeps revealing stuff to us as we grow um, because we're a different person. So we see that the Bible is spiritual nutrition, and we see that we should read. So why don't we read? Well, there is probably a zillion reasons why we don't read. And I'd love to address most of them, but Cameron says I can only be here two hours, so I'm only going to have to hit a few of them. Um, I think the first big one is a lot of people will tell you they don't have time. You know, their lives are so busy. And the best way I can just shrink this down and put it in a nutshell is I, I just repeat something that Cameron always says. It's not about giving up something bad for something good. Because if that was it, it'd be easy for us, right? I mean, if someone said to you, every night after work, I spend two hours in the tavern, and then when I get home, I'm just too tired to read. Well, we can see where we can make some changes here, right? But for most of us, it's not about giving up something bad for something good. It's about giving up something good for something great. I think a lot of times people look at their schedules and they say, well, Monday night I have a meeting, Tuesday night, Billy's got baseball. Wednesday night, Jeannie's got dance practice. Thursday night is yoga. So Friday night, after I clean up supper and put the kids to bed, I think between 10 and 10.15, I can read. See, the problem there is a lot of times we try to fit God into our lifestyles. And what we should be doing is trying to fit our lifestyles into God. So, uh, the next biggest one, and the one I think I can help you out the most with, is boredom. I know, you didn't expect me to say that in church, right? 
But that's where I was at. I got saved, and I thought, well, I'm supposed to read this thing. So it's a book, so I'll start at the beginning. I didn't realize that it was an encyclopedia or a, a whole library. So I figured, well, a book, you start at the beginning, right? So I read Genesis, and I read Exodus, and then I got to Leviticus, <laughs> right? Fortunately, my daughter stepped in and said, no, Dad, listen, let me show you where to read the Bible. And she got me on track. And then she showed me how to read the Bible, how to make it come alive. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. If, if you're one of those people who the Bible's kind of ho-hum for you, it hasn't come alive for you yet, I can help. Now, if you're eating bland food, I suggest that you pray to the Holy Spirit and let him season it a little bit for you. Let it come alive and taste better. So what I do is when I read, I sort of fill in the blanks. Now, I know those of you that have been readers for a long time, you know the Bible says that we're never supposed to add to or take away from the Bible. And I'm not suggesting adding to. I'm just saying fill in the blanks that the Bible doesn't. So let me give you an example of Bible reading, like a story, for instance. So we all know about Noah's Ark, right? God tells Noah to build this big boat. He builds the boat. The animals all get on two by two. It starts to rain. The boat floats away. After a while, he lets a raven go. It flies around, doesn't really do any good. So he lets a dove go. Eventually, the dove comes back with a little leaf, and he thinks, all right, stuff's happening outside. Sooner or later, the boat comes to rest on ground, and 12 and a half months later, he kicks open the doors, and everyone lives happily ever after, right? So let's, let's kind of dissect that and think, what would it really be right, like? Um, well, first of all, you know, God comes to you and tells you to build this big, giant boat, and there's no water anywhere around. So that's weird, right? But you're faithful, so you do it. And I would imagine, now the Bible doesn't say anything about people giving Noah crud, but, you know, if your neighbor was building a big giant boat because of a flood, you'd think, cuckoo, you know. So I imagine Noah didn't get invited to a lot of clam bakes after that. Um, it could be that, you know, the neighbors wouldn't let their kids play with his kids because this guy's obviously deranged, Right? But he does it. So, I mean, I'm thinking there's some psychological stuff going on with Noah here. This isn't fun. So you build the boat, and sure enough, God sends all the animals two by two, which had to be weird for people to sit there and watch giraffes go down the road. You know, that, that had to have been weird. So they all get in, and God says, close up the hatches, lock it down tight. Nobody gets in, nobody gets out. And it starts to rain. And it, the Bible says that the ground spewed forth water and the earth started to flood. So I imagine about the time it got knee deep, these people started realizing that no one knew what he was talking about. In my mind, I picture this 450 foot long boat like in the middle of the Super Bowl and all these people just crowding around it, right? And I imagine at first they were pretty angry, shouting horrible things at him, let us in, you know, beating and pounding. But before long, that anger probably turned to horror, terror, you know, realizing what's happening. Pounding and pounding and beating and pounding like crazy. Imagine being inside of a 400-foot-long wooden drum with thousands of people beating on the outside of it. Perhaps for days. You can't sleep. Deafening noise. People screaming and pounding. Women crying. Babies crying. Children screaming. Pounding, 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 pounding. 
eventually you don't hear any children anymore because the women got so tired they just couldn't hold them up and they had to let them go. And then after a while, perhaps no more babies. Same reason. Their arms get so tired. And they're pounding and pounding and beating and pounding. And pretty soon you don't hear women's voices anymore. And then all at once, quiet. And you know that everyone you ever knew is dead because you didn't open the hatch. You look over and maybe you see a couple old hyenas there. And then you think about that lady across the street that used to babysit your kids, and you think, really? Or maybe a couple baboons, and you think about the girl that lived next to you with the two twin baby daughters that were so precious, all dead. And you think about the psychology of this on a human being going through this. This is not a Sunday school story. This is a nightmare from hell for Noah. You wonder why later in life he had a drinking problem? Imagine going through that, the psychology of that. When you think about this story this way, you come to realize Noah's Ark isn't about the animals at all. I mean, God could have crossed his arms and blinked and made all the animals in two seconds, right? He, he could have done that in a day. The animals were relevant. Noah's Ark isn't about the animals in the ark. It's about the people who weren't allowed in the ark. That's what it's about. These people were so detestable in God's eyes, that he'd rather reserve a place for a duck-billed platypus than these people. Not a fun Sunday school story, huh? And we can take this kind of, of thinking and reading and filling in to many Bible stories. For instance, um, David and Goliath, one of my favorites, right? We all heard the Sunday school story, right? David meets Goliath, he takes a slingshot, shoots him, everything is great, right? So let's think about what really happened, right? David goes to the front to take his brother some bread, and he is just appalled. He is just ticked because this Philistine is talking some horrible talk about his God, and he's mad, right? How come you guys don't go kill him? Well, we're scared. You're scared? I'll go kill him. You wait here, I'll go kill him, I'll come back, we'll do lunch, okay? <laughs> so the king hears about David, and so he says, David, 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 come on. You can't go fight this guy. You're going to get killed. It's an election year. It's going to look horrible on my resume, you know. The news will have it. You know, and David says, no, wait a minute. I watch my father's sheep. When a bear or a lion comes and gets one of my father's sheep, I take a club and I club it over the head until it drops it. And the God that protects me from that lion will protect me from this Philistine. You see, David was like this with God. David had taken steps to get closer to God. Me or you take a stick and start beating a lion? It's not going to go well, right? So the king says, okay, okay, but here, wear my armor. And David says, I can't wear this stuff. I'm just going to get a couple rocks instead, okay? So he goes down to the creek. He gets some smooth stones. And this is the cool part, right? It says he ran to meet Goliath. Gives me goosebumps when I think about that. Not hide behind a tree, not wait for the best time. He ran to meet him because he knew God was right there with him, right? So he puts the rock in the sling, and he whips it around and lets it go. And you know at that moment, God had to do that whole watermelon seed spitting thing, right? <laughs> like that. That rock was flying. Said it sunk into Goliath's head, right? And then what happens? David goes all ISIS on Goliath, cuts his head off, and is carrying it around as a trophy. This is not a Sunday school story. This is for mature audiences only, right? And I think a lot of us, 
when we, um, we think of these stories, we, we read the words and we think, okay, little David, big Goliath. Well, how is this working? Well, there's an app for this that makes this work, right? I've, I've thought of a formula. So it goes like this. Average person plus God equals Liam Neeson. See? So if, if, if you're a Liam Neeson fan, you know he's like the action star of this decade, right? Whether you're a fan of the Taken series, you know, or the Grey, or, or uh, Nonstop, Liam Neeson makes it happen, right? And, and I'm not saying that you become Liam Neeson. I'm saying Liam Neeson abilities, right? So now picture in your mind Liam Neeson against Goliath. Oh, he's going down, right? He's going to pull some stuff. I mean, you, you can visualize it easy, right? So, and this works for other characters in the Bible. You just have to figure what God does for him. So say, for instance, um, Daniel in the lion's den, right? Average person plus God equals Liam Neeson. So Daniel would be down there taping broken bottles to his knuckles. The lion would be like, no thanks, I'm not hungry, I ate on the way. You know, you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side, right? Um, and I think this, this will apply, this way of, of reading to make it come alive with, with a lot of stuff. I think... I think a lot of people even do this with Jesus. They have a hard time picturing all the stuff that Jesus did. You know, I think a lot of times people have seen an artist's rendering of Jesus, some thin, pale, weak, you know, kind of a guy or something like that. That's not the Jesus that I think of. Um, you know, if you look at carpenters as a whole, they're a fairly well-built group of people. Even today with, with air nailers and power saws, I mean, they still work for a living. And if you back the bookmobile up a few generations, I think of my dad. He had little softballs in his arms. I mean, he took his shirt off and you were like, whoa, let's not make him angry, right? Because he looks like he could rip your arms off and beat you to death with them. And, and all of his friends were the same way that he grew up with. They were just all, you know, working man muscles. So now, let's think about what it was like clear back at Jesus' time. So let's say there was some wealthy guy that was going to have a party. So he goes down to Joseph and son Carpenter, right? Joseph, I want you and your boys to build me a big banquet table so 10 of my friends can all sit at it at once, right? You know, here's 30 denarius, go make me one. So do you suppose Jesus and Joseph jump in the F-250, drive down to Home Depot, buy lumber? No. They take whatever the closest thing to they had as an axe and head for the forest. So think about the back-breaking labor it takes to turn a tree into a table. I mean, when I think of Jesus, I think of someone like, well, maybe not like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, but maybe like Stallone or something. I'm thinking of someone very well-built, you know. I'm thinking of someone when he goes to the temple and starts turning over tables and cracking the whip. People are like, okay, you know. That, that's how I picture it. If you, if you read like this, the Bible is just awesome to, to look through. Now, we see that the Bible is our spiritual nutrition. And we see that we're supposed to read. Um, and now I've given you some ideas of how to read to make it more interesting. So what I wanted to do was give you some real-world examples of people who took a step closer to God. The first one is just a little one I wanted to share but um, a long time ago, I decided to take a step closer to God, read what this book said, you know, be part of the Great Commission. And about 
I don't know, seven years ago or something like that, I invited a couple friends of mine, James and Julie, to church. And they came to church. They found God. They got saved. And they got married. And yesterday was their five-year anniversary. And you know where they went for their anniversary? They came to church. It works. It works. If you read and you follow the plan, it works. Here we have people that are beating the national average for marriage, you know. Just an awesome thing. But I've got a couple other examples of people, some men from history, who took a step forward towards God and the effects that it had on their lives and the lives of people around them. The first story from history I have is, is right from Chicago. In the 1920s, Al Capone ruled the underworld of Chicago, right? If it had to do with prostitution, illegal alcohol, gambling, murder, Al Capone was, he was in charge of it, right? Um, and he did very well. I read one account where it said that the mob was grossing about $100 million a year, and that's 1920s money. I mean, they did really well. One of the reasons that Al Capone did so good is he sort of had this secret weapon. He had this lawyer named Easy Eddie, and Easy Eddie was phenomenal in this respect, right? No matter what Al Capone did, for the most part, he kept him out of jail. The mob really appreciated how good Easy Eddie was. They set him up in this giant mansion. It, they said that his house and grounds took up a whole city block, and anything that he wanted, you know, he had the best food, the best clothes, the nicest cars, you know, trips abroad. I mean, he was living the gangster life, right? Everything. But what happened was, is he had a family, and he had a child, and he had a change of heart. He could provide anything that he wanted uh, to his child, except maybe a legacy, a reputation. So he decided to change and testify against the mob, which was suicide, right? But he did it. He testified against the mob, and as you can imagine, in less than a year, he died, died in a hailstorm of bullets, you know. Um, now, some historians say that Easy Eddie was a bum. They said that the only reason he testified was to save his own skin, and he was just as involved as Al Capone was with all the, the illegal doings. And that, that could be true, but I'm kind of a romantic. I like to think that people change for a reason. Um, it seems to me like if you're part of the mob, you might go to jail. But then again, your mob connections might keep you out of jail. But you know, if you testify, you're signing your own death certificate, basically. But he went ahead and did it, you know. They say that when the police found his body, there was a crucifix in his pocket. I think that God was working on Easy Eddie. I think that he had taken a step towards God and decided that there was something more important than material items. I know it's not the most uplifting story, but the second one's better, okay? <laughs> um, there was a man, a Navy pilot in World War II named Butch O'Hare. Butch O'Hare was flying off of an aircraft carrier that didn't get destroyed at Pearl Harbor. And one day, he was on a mission, well into the mission, and he discovered he didn't have enough fuel to make it to where they're going and back. Someone had goofed up, didn't top off his tanks, so his commanding officer said, you might as well just turn around and fly back. So he did. 
And on the long trip back to the aircraft carrier, he came across a whole squadron of enemy aircraft heading in the direction of the aircraft carrier. Well, there was no time to fly back rendezvous with his squadron and bring them, and there was no way he could fly faster than them and get within radio range and warn the aircraft carrier. So he did the absolute unthinkable. He decided to attack the whole squadron himself. This is one of those things where you say to yourself, I'm going to die, but I'm going to kill as many of them before they kill me. So he flew in and shot airplanes, pulled around, fired again, pulled around, fired again, just kept it up, kept it up until he was out of ammunition. And then, as they say, that he flew in and tried to clip their tails or clip their wings, anything to knock airplanes down. Well, eventually, the enemy squadron peeled off and went a different direction. He was able to escape, limp his tattered airplane back to the aircraft carrier, and he told them what had happened. When they checked the gun camera footage, they were amazed. He had shot down five enemy aircraft in one day, making him the first World War II ace. Most pilots never live long enough to become an ace to shoot down five airplanes, and he had done it in one day. Uh, he became a hometown hero. They named the airport in Chicago after him, you know. Um, and the interesting thing is, instead of going back stateside, as many heroes do, go on a you know, war bond campaign, he decided to stay and fight. And I think within a year he was killed in action, like most brave young men are, you know. And I think about all the people on that ship that might have been saved that day. Think about how many of them made it through the war because of that, and how many got married and had families. I mean, there literally could be a thousand or more people walking around the United States today because of the decision that Butch O'Hare made. So we've got two different men with two different places in history with seemingly the only thing in common is they're from Chicago. Until you learn that Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. And you do the math and you figure out that Butch O'Hare was not a toddler when his dad decided to testify. He was a young man. He could have went into the family business. So I don't think about how many people were saved or are walking around the United States today because of what Butch O'Hare did. I think about how many people were saved because of the decision that Easy Eddie made. You see, every step we take, any step we take towards God, can have a huge impact on us and the lives of the people around us. Don't limit your diet to Sunday services. Pick up your fork and eat. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to get to speak today. God, I pray that some of my message touches some people. I pray that they can take it home and it will encourage them to read the Bible. I pray that this helps lift people up and helps everyone to take a step forward in your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you very much. It's been an honor to get to talk to you today.